0: Hello everyone, I'm Kathleen Pelly. Welcome to the special omnibus edition of Journey with Story, where you can listen to all of this month's episodes, one after the other. And just so you know, there will be no special intro for the individual stories, no added details and no shout outs. If you want to hear all of those, then you'll need to listen to the individual episodes and not this version. Got it? Oh, Mums, dads, grown-ups, you can download some free colouring sheets at our website, www.journeywithstory.com. Let's take an omnibus journey with story. Now, let's take a journey with a potpourri of poems. The Wind and the Moon by George MacDonald. "'said the wind to the moon. "'I will blow you out, you stare in the air, "'like a ghost in a chair, always looking what I am about. "'I hate to be watched. I'll blow you out.' "'The wind blew hard, and out went the moon, "'so deep on a heap of clouds to sleep. "'Down lay the wind and slumbered soon, "'muttering low, I've done for that moon.' He turned in his bed. She was there again, on high in the sky, with her one ghost eye. The moon shone white and alive and plain. Said the wind, I will blow you out again. The wind blew hard, and the moon grew dim. With my sledge and my wedge, I have knocked off her edge If only I blow right fierce and grim, the creature will soon be dimmer than dim. He blew and he blew, and she thinned to a thread. One puff
1: more's enough to blow her to snuff. One good puff more where the last was bred, and glimmer, glimmer, glum will go the thread. He blew a great blast, and the thread was
0: gone. In the air, nowhere, was a moonbeam bare. Far off and harmless, the shy stars shone. Sure and certain, the moon was gone. The wind he took to his revels once more. On down in town, like a merry mad clown. He leaped and hallooed with whistle and roar. What's that? The glimmering thread once more. He flew in a rage, he danced and blew, but in vain was the pain of his bursting brain. For still, the broader the moon, scrap grew. The broader he swelled, his big cheeks and blue, slowly she grew till she filled the night and shone on her throne in the sky alone a matchless wonderful silvery light radiant and lovely the queen of the night
1: said the wind what a marvel of power am i with my breath good faith i blew her to death First blew her away right
0: out of the sky, then blew her in. What strength have I? But the moon, she knew nothing about the affair. For high in the sky, with her one white eye, motionless, miles above the air, she had never heard the great wind blare. I bet that poem must have painted some great pictures in your mind. We'd love to see some drawings of what you think this big bully the wind looks like trying to blow away our lovely moon. Now, here's a poem about two very different mice called Country Mouse and City Mouse by Richard Scrafton Sharp. In a snug little cot lived a fat little mouse, who enjoyed unmolested the range of the house. With plain food content she would breakfast on cheese, she dined upon bacon and supped on grey peas. A friend from the town to the cottage did stray, and he said he was come a short visit to pay, so the mouse spread her table as gay as you please and brought the nice bacon and charming grey peas. The visitor frowned and he thought to be witty, cried he, "'You must know I am come from the city, "'where we all to be shocked at provisions like these, "'for we never eat bacon and, oh, horrid grey peas. "'To town, come with me, I'll give you a treat, "'some excellent food, most delightful to eat. "'With me shall you feast just as long as you please. "'Come leave this fat bacon and shocking grey peas.' "'This kind invitation she could not refuse, "'and the city mouse wished not a moment to lose.' Reluctant, she quitted the fields and the trees, the delicious fat bacon and charming grey peas. They slyly crept under a gay parlour door, where a feast had been given the evening before. And it must be confessed, they on dainties did seize, far better than bacon or even grey peas. Here were custard and trifle and cheesecake's good store nice sweet meats and jellies, and twenty things more. All that art had invented the palate to please, except some fat bacon and smoking grey peas. They were nicely regaling when into the room came the dog and the cat and the maid with a broom. They jumped in a custard both up to their knees. The country mouse sighed for her bacon and peas. Cried she to her friend, Oh, get me safely away! I can venture no longer in London to stay. For if oft you receive interruptions like these, Give me my nice bacon and charming great peas. Your living is splendid and gay, to be sure. But the dread of disturbance you ever endure. I taste true delight in contentment and ease and I feast on fat bacon and charming grape peas. Well, what do you think? Would you rather be the city mouse and eat delicious food every day, but always have to watch out for the dangers of the cat or the dog or the broom? Or maybe you'd prefer to eat more simply, but live in peace and safety like the country mouse. This might make a good discussion with your friends or parents. Our next poem is from a wonderful Irish poet called William B. Yeats, and the poem is called "The Lake Isle of Inishfree." I will arise and go now, and go to Inishfree, and a small cabin build there, of clay and wattles made. Nine bean rows will I have there, a hive for the honey bee, and live alone. In the bee-loud glade, And I shall have some peace there, For peace comes dropping slow, Dropping from the veils of the morning To where the cricket sings. There midnight's all a glimmer, And noon a purple glow, And evening full of the linnet's wings. I will arise and go now, for always night and day. I hear lake water lapping, with low sounds by the shore. While I stand on the roadway, or on the pavement's grey, I hear it in the deep heart's core. Caterpillar by Christina Rossetti. Brown and furry, caterpillar in a hurry, take your walk to the shady leaf or stalk or what not, which may be the chosen spot. No toad spy you, hovering bird of prey pass by you. Spin and a die, to live again a butterfly. Is the Moon Tired by Christina Rossetti Is the moon tired? She looks so pale within her misty veil. She scales the sky from east to west and takes no rest. Before the coming of the night, the moon shows papery white. Before the dawning of the day, she fades away. Let's take an encore journey with The Velveteen Rabbit by Marjorie Williams. There was once a Velveteen Rabbit and in the beginning he was really splendid. He was fat and bunchy as a rabbit should be. His coat was spotted brown and white, he had real thread whiskers, and his ears were lined with pink satin. On Christmas morning, when he sat wedged on the top of the boy's stocking with a sprig of holly between his paws, the effect was charming. There were other things in the stocking, nuts and oranges and a toy engine and chocolate almonds and a clockwork mouse but the rabbit was quite the best of all. For at least two hours, the boy loved him. And then aunts and uncles came to dinner and there was a great rustling of tissue paper and unwrapping of parcels and in the excitement of looking at all the new presents, the velveteen rabbit was forgotten. For a long time he lived in the toy cupboard or on the nursery floor and no one thought very much about him. He was naturally shy and, being only made of velveteen, some of the more expensive toys quite snubbed him. The mechanical toys were very superior and looked down upon everyone else. They were full of modern ideas and pretended they were real. The model boat, who had lived through two seasons and lost most of his paint caught the tone from them and never missed an opportunity of referring to his rigging in technical terms. The rabbit could not claim to be a model of anything for he didn't know that real rabbits existed. He thought they were all stuffed with sawdust like himself and he understood that sawdust was quite out of date and should never be mentioned in modern circles. Even Timothy, the jointed wooden line who was made by the disabled soldiers and should have had broader views, put on airs and pretended he was connected with government. Between them all, the poor little rabbit was made to feel himself very insignificant and commonplace, and the only person who was kind to him at all was the Skin horse. The skin horse had lived longer in the nursery than any of the others. He was so old that his brown coat was bald in patches and showed the seams underneath, and most of the hairs in his tail had been pulled out to string bead necklaces. He was wise, for he had seen a long succession of mechanical toys arrive to boast and swagger and by and by break their mainsprings and pass away, and he knew that they were only toys and would never turn into anything else. For nursery magic is very strange and wonderful, and only those playthings that are old and wise and experienced, like the skin horse, understand all about it. "'What is real?' "'asked the rabbit one day when they were lying side by side "'near the nursery fender before Nana came to tidy the room. "'Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick-out handle?' "'Real isn't how you're made,' said the skin horse. "'It's a thing that happens to you. "'When a child loves you for a long, long time, "'not just to play with, but really loves you, "'then you become real. "'Oh, does it hurt?' asked the rabbit. "'Sometimes,' Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. "'When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up?' he asked, or bit by bit. "'It doesn't happen all at once,' said the skin horse. "'You become. It takes a long time.' That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly. Except at people who don't understand. I suppose you are real, said the rabbit. And then he wished he had not said it, for he thought the skin horse might be sensitive. But the skin horse only smiled. The boy's uncle made me real, he said. That was a great many years ago. But once you are real, you can't become unreal again. It lasts for always. The rabbit sighed. He thought it would be a long time before this magic called real happened to him. He longed to become real, to know what it felt like, and yet the idea of growing shabby and losing his eyes and whiskers was rather sad. He wished that he could become it without these uncomfortable things happening to him. There was a person called Nana who ruled the nursery. Sometimes she took no notice of the playthings lying about and sometimes, for no reason whatever, she went swooping about like a great wind and hustled them away in cupboards. She called this tidying up and the playthings all hated it, especially the tin ones. The rabbit didn't mind it so much for wherever he was thrown he came down soft. One evening when the boy was going to bed he couldn't find the china dog that always slept with him. Nana was in a hurry, and it was too much trouble to hunt for china dogs at bedtime, so she simply looked about her, and seeing that the toy cupboard door stood open, she made a swoop. Here, she said, take your old bunny, you do to sleep with you. And she dragged the rabbit out by one ear, and put him into the boy's arms. That night, and for many nights after, the velveteen rabbit slept in the boy's bed. At first he found it rather uncomfortable for the boy hugged him very tight and sometimes he rolled over on him and sometimes he pushed him so far under the pillow that the rabbit could scarcely breathe. And he missed too those long moonlight hours in the nursery when all the house was silent and his talks with the skin horse. But very soon he grew to like it, for the boy used to talk to him and made nice tunnels for him under the bedclothes that he said were like the burrows the real rabbits lived in. And they had splendid games together in whispers when Nana had gone away to her supper and left the night light burning on the mantelpiece. And when the boy dropped off to sleep, the rabbit would snuggle down close under his little warm chin and dream with the boy's hands clasped close round him all night long. And so time went on and the little rabbit was very happy, so happy, he never noticed how his beautiful velveteen fur was getting shabbier and shabbier and his tail becoming unsown, and all the pink rubbed off his nose where the boy had kissed him. "'Spring came, and they had long days in the garden, "'for wherever the boy went, the rabbit went too. "'He had rides in the wheelbarrow and picnics on the grass "'and lovely fairy huts built for him "'under the raspberry canes behind the flower border. "'And once, when the boy was called away suddenly to go out to tea,' The rabbit was left out on the lawn until long after dusk and Nana had to come and look for him with the candle because the boy couldn't go to sleep unless he was there. He was wet through with the dew and quite earthy from diving into the burrows the boy had made for him in the flower bed and Nana grumbled as she rubbed him off with the corner of her apron. "'Oh, you must have your old bunny,' she said. "'Fancy all that fuss for a toy?' The boy sat up in bed and stretched out his hands. Give me my bunny, he said. You mustn't say that. He isn't a toy. He's real. When the little rabbit heard that, he was happy, for he knew that what the skin horse had said was true at last. The nursery magic had happened to him, and he was a toy no longer. He was real. The boy himself had said it. That night he was almost too happy to sleep and so much love stirred in his little sawdust heart that it almost burst and into his boot-button eyes that had long ago lost their polish. There came a look of wisdom and beauty so that even Nana noticed it next morning when she picked him up and said, I declare, if that old bunny hasn't got quite a knowing expression... That was a wonderful summer. Near the house where they lived there was a wood and in the long June evenings the boy liked to go there after tea to play. He took the velveteen rabbit with him and before he wandered off to pick flowers or play at brigands among the trees he always made the rabbit a little nest somewhere among the bracken where he would be quite cosy. But he was a kind-hearted little boy and he liked Bunny to be comfortable. "'One evening, while the rabbit was lying there alone, "'watching the ants that ran to and fro between his velvet paws and the grass, "'he saw two strange beings creep out of the tall bracken near him. "'They were rabbits like himself, but quite furry and brand-new. "'They must have been very well made, for their seams didn't show at all, "'and they changed shape in an odd way when they moved.' One minute they were long and thin and the next minute fat and bunchy instead of always staying the same like he did. Their feet padded softly on the ground and they crept quite close to him, twitching their noses while the rabbit stared hard to see which side the clockwork stuck out for he knew that people who jump generally have something to wind them up but he couldn't see it. They were evidently a new kind of rabbit altogether they stared at him and the little rabbit stared back and all the time their noses twitched. "'Why don't you get up and play with us?' one of them asked. "'I don't feel like it,' said the rabbit, for he didn't want to explain that he had no clockwork. ha said the furry rabbit. "'It's as easy as anything!' And he gave a big hop sideways and stood on his hind legs. "'I don't believe you can!' he said. "'I can!' said the little rabbit. "'I can jump higher than anything!' He meant when the boy threw him, but of course he didn't want to say so. Can you hop on your hind legs? asked the furry rabbit. That was a dreadful question, for the velveteen rabbit had no hind legs at all. The back of him was made all in one piece, like a pincushion. He sat still in the bracken and hoped that the other rabbits wouldn't notice. I don't want to, he said again. But the wild rabbits have very sharp eyes, and this one stretched out his neck and looked. "'He hasn't got any hind legs!' he called out. "'Fancy! A rabbit without any hind legs!' "'And he began to laugh. "'I have!' cried the little rabbit. "'I have got hind legs. I'm sitting on them.' "'Then stretch them out and show me like this!' said the wild rabbit. "'And he began to whirl round and dance till the little rabbit got quite dizzy. "'I don't like dancing,' he said. "'I'd rather sit still.' "'But all the while he was longing to dance, "'for a funny new tickly feeling ran through him, and he felt... He would give anything in the world to be able to jump about like those rabbits did. The strange rabbit stopped dancing and came quite close. He came so close this time that his long whiskers brushed the velveteen rabbit's ear and then he wrinkled his nose suddenly and flattened his ears and jumped backwards. He doesn't smell right, he exclaimed. He isn't a rabbit at all. He isn't real. I am real, said the little rabbit. I am real. The boy said so and he nearly began to cry. Just then there was a sound of footsteps and the boy ran past near them and with a stamp of feet and a flash of white tails the two strange rabbits disappeared. Come back and play with me, called the little rabbit. Oh, do come back. I know I am real. But there was no answer. Only the little ants ran to and fro and the bracken swayed gently where the two strangers had passed. The velveteen rabbit was all alone oh dear he thought why did they run away like that why couldn't they stop and talk to me for a long time he lay very still watching the bracken and hoping that they would come back but they never returned and presently the sun sank lower and the little white moths fluttered out and the boy came and carried him home Weeks passed and the little rabbit grew very old and shabby but the boy loved him just as much. He loved him so hard that he loved all his whiskers off and the pink lying to his ears turned to grey and his brown spots faded. He even began to lose his shape and he scarcely looked like a rabbit anymore except to the boy. To him he was always beautiful and that was all that the little rabbit cared about – He didn't mind how he looked to other people because the nursery magic had made him real and when you are real, shabbiness doesn't matter. And then one day the boy was ill. His face grew flushed and he talked in his sleep and his little body was so hot that it burdened the rabbit when he held him close strange people came and went in the nursery and a light burdened all night and through it all the little velveteen rabbit lay there hidden from sight under the bedclothes and he never stirred for he was afraid that if they found him someone might take him away and he knew that the boy needed him it was a long weary time for the boy was too ill to play and the little rabbit found it rather dull with nothing to do all day long But he snuggled down patiently and looked forward to the time when the boy should be well again and they would go out into the garden amongst the flowers and the butterflies and play splendid games in the raspberry thicket like they used to. All sorts of delightful things he planned and while the boy lay half asleep he crept up close to the pillow and whispered them in his ear and presently the fever turned and the boy got better. He was able to sit up in bed and look at picture books while the little rabbit cuddled close at his side and one day they let him get up and get dressed. It was a bright sunny morning and the windows stood wide open. They had carried the boy out onto the balcony and wrapped him in a shawl and the little rabbit lay tangled up among the bedclothes thinking. The boy was going to the seaside tomorrow. Everything was arranged and now it only remained to carry out the doctor's orders. They talked about it all while the little rabbit lay under the bedclothes with just his head peeping out and listened. The room was to be disinfected and all the books and toys that the boy had played with in bed must be burnt. Hurrah, thought the little rabbit. Tomorrow we shall go to the seaside. For the boy had often talked of the seaside and he wanted very much to see the big waves coming in and the tiny crabs and the sandcastles. Just then Nana caught sight of him. "'Oh, how about his old bunny?' she asked. "'That?' said the doctor. "'Why, it's a mass of scarlet fever germs. Burn it at once. "'What? Nonsense. Get him a new one. He mustn't have that any more.' And so the little rabbit was put into a sack with the old picture books, a lot of rubbish, and carried out to the end of the garden behind the fowl house. "'That was a fine place to make a bonfire.' Only the gardener was too busy just then to attend to it. He had the potatoes to dig and the green peas to gather, but next morning he promised to come quite early and burn the whole lot. That night the boy slept in a different bedroom and he had a new bunny to sleep with him. It was a splendid bunny, all white plush with real glass eyes, but the boy was too excited to care very much about it, for tomorrow he was going to the seaside and that in itself was such a wonderful thing that he could think of nothing else. And while the boy was asleep, dreaming of the seaside, the little rabbits lay among the old picture books in the corner behind the ball house and he felt very lonely. The sack had been left untied and so by wriggling a bit he was able to get his head through the opening and look out. He was shivering a little, for he had always been used to sleeping in a proper bed, and by this time his coat had worn so thin and threadbare from hugging that it was no longer any protection to him. Nearby he could see the thicket of raspberry canes growing tall and close like a tropical jungle in whose shadow he had played with the boy on bygone mornings. He thought of those long sunlit hours in the garden. Oh, how happy they were! and a great sadness came over him. He seemed to see them all pass before him, each more beautiful than the other. The fairy huts in the flower bed, the quiet evenings in the wood when he lay in the bracken, and the little ants ran over his paws. And the wonderful day when he first knew that he was real. He thought of the skin horse, so wise and gentle, and all that he had told him. Of what use was it to be loved and lose one's beauty and become real if it all ended like this? And a tear, a real tear, trickled down his little shabby velvet nose and fell to the ground. And then a strange thing happened, for where the tear had fallen, a flower grew out of the ground, a mysterious flower, not at all like any that grew in the garden. It had slender green leaves, the colour of emeralds and in the centre of the leaves a blossom like a golden cup. It was so beautiful that the little rabbit forgot to cry and just lay there watching it and presently the blossom opened and out of it there stepped a fairy. She was quite the loveliest fairy in the whole world. Her dress was of pearl and dewdrops, and there were flowers around her neck and in her hair, and her face was like the most perfect flower of all. And she came close to the little rabbit, gathered him up in her arms and kissed him on his velvety nose that was all damp from crying. Little rabbit, she said, don't you know who I am? "'The rabbit looked up at her and it seemed to him "'that he had seen her face before, but he couldn't think where. "'I am the nursery magic fairy,' she said. "'I take care of all the playthings that the children have loved. "'When they are old and worn out and the children don't need them anymore, "'then I come and take them away with me and turn them into real.' "'And oh, wasn't I real before?' asked the little rabbit." Oh, you were real to the boy, the fairy said, because he loved you. Now you shall be real to everyone. And she held the little rabbit close in her arms and flew with him into the wood. It was light now, for the moon had risen. All the forest was beautiful, and the fronds of the bracken shone like frosted silver. In the open glade between the tree trunks, the wild rabbits danced with their shadows on the velvet grass. But when they saw the fairy, they all stopped dancing and stood round in a ring to stare at her. I've brought you a new playfellow, the fairy said. You must be very kind to him and teach him all he needs to know in Rabbitland, for he is going to live with you forever and ever. "'and she kissed the little rabbit again "'and put him down on the grass. "'Run and play, little rabbit,' she said. "'But the little rabbit sat quite still for a moment "'and never moved. "'For when he saw the wild rabbits dancing around him, "'he suddenly remembered about his hind legs, "'and he didn't want them to see "'that he was made all in one piece. "'He did not know that when the fairy kissed him "'that last time, she had changed him altogether.' And he might have sat there a long time, too shy to move, if just then something hadn't tickled his nose. And before he thought what he was doing, he lifted his hind toe to scratch it. And he found that he actually had hind legs. Instead of dingy velveteen, he had brown fur, soft and shiny. His ears twitched by themselves and his whiskers were so long that they brushed the grass. He gave one leap and the joy of using those hind legs was so great that he went springing about the turf on them, jumping sideways and whirling round as the others did. And he grew so excited that when at last he did stop to look for the fairy, she had gone. He was a real rabbit at last, at home with the other rabbits. Autumn passed, and winter, and in the spring, when the days grew warm and sunny, the boy went out to play in the wood behind the house. And while he was playing, two rabbits crept out from the bracken and peeped at him. One of them was brown all over, but the other had strange markings under his fur, as though long ago he had been spotted and the spot still showed through and about his little soft nose and his round black eyes there was something familiar so that the boy thought to himself why he looks just like my old bunny that was lost when I had scarlet fever but he never knew that it really was his own bunny come back to look at the child who had first helped him to be real Let's take a journey with The Goldfish by Eleanor Farjeon. There was once a goldfish who lived in the sea in the days when all fishes lived there. He was perfectly happy and had only one care, and that was to avoid the net that floated about in the water now here, now there. But all the fish had been warned by King Neptune, their father, to avoid the net, and in those days they did as they were bid. So the goldfish enjoyed a glorious life, swimming for days and days in the blue and green water, sometimes low down, close to the sand and shells and pearls and coral and the big rocks where the anemones grew like clusters of gay flowers and the seaweed waved in frills and fans of red and green and yellow and sometimes he swam high up near the surface of the sea where the white caps chased each other and the great waves rose like mountains of glass and tumbled over themselves with a crash when the goldfish was as near the top as this He sometimes saw swimming in the bright blue water, far, far above him, a great gold fish, as golden as himself, but as round as a jellyfish. And at other times, when that distant water was dark blue instead of bright, he saw a silver fish, such as he had never met under the sea. And she too was often round in shape. "'though at times, "'when she seemed to swim sideways through the water, "'he could see her pointed silver fins. "'Our goldfish felt a certain jealousy of the other goldfish, "'but with the silverfish he fell in love at sight "'and longed to be able to swim up to her. "'Whenever he tried to do this, "'something odd happened that made him lose his breath, "'and with a gasp, he sank down into the ocean so deep that he could see the silver fish no longer. Then, hoping she might descend to swim in his own water, he swam for miles and miles in search of her. But he never had the luck to find her. One night, as he was swimming about in very calm water, he saw overhead the motionless shadow of an enormous fish. One great long fin ran under its belly in the water, but all the rest of it was raised above the surface. The goldfish knew every fish in the sea, but he had never before seen such a fish as this. It was bigger than the whale and as black as the ink of the octopus. He swam all around it, touching it with his inquisitive little nose. At last he asked, ''What sort of fish are you?'' The big black shadow laughed. Uh
1: ''I am not a fish at all. I'm a ship.'' ''What are you doing here if you are not a fish?'' ''Just at present I'm doing nothing, for I am becalmed.'' "'but when the wind blows, I shall go on sailing round the world.' "'What is the world?' "'All that you see and more.' "'Am I in the world, then?' asked the goldfish. "'Certainly you are.' "'The goldfish gave
0: a little jump of delight. "'Oh, good nose, good nose!' he cried. "'A passing porpoise paused to ask, "'What are you shouting for?' "'Because I am in the world.' Who says so? The ship fish, said the goldfish. <coughs> said the porpoise Let him prove it. And passed on. The goldfish stopped jumping because his joy had been dampened by doubt. How can the world be more than I can see, he asked the ship. If I am really in the world, I ought to be able to see it all. Or how can I be sure...
1: You must take my word for it, said the ship. A tiny fellow like you can never hope to see more than a scrap of the world. The world has a rim you can never see over. The world has foreign lands full of wonders that you can never look upon. The world is as round as an orange, but you will never see how round the world is.
0: Then the ship went on to tell of the parts of the world that lay beyond the rim of things, of men and women and children, of flowers and trees, of birds with eyes in their tails, blue, gold and green, of white and black elephants and temples hung with tinkling bells. The goldfish wept with longing. Because he could never see over the rim of things, because he could not see how round the world was, because he could not behold all at once all the wonders that were in the world.
1: How the ship laughed at him. Ha, my little friend, said he, if you were the moon yonder, "'Why, if you were the sun himself, "'you could only see one half of these things at a time.' "'Who is
0: the moon yonder?'
1: asked the goldfish. "'Who else but that silver slip of light up on the sky?' "'Is that the sky?' said the
0: goldfish. "'I thought it was another sea. "'And is that the moon? "'I thought she was a silver fish. "'But who then is the sun?'
1: The sun is the round gold ball that rolls through the sky by day, said the ship. They say he is her lover and gives her his light.
0: But I will give her the world, cried the goldfish. And he leaped with all his tiny might into the air. But he could not reach the moon and fell gasping into the sea. There he let himself sink like a little gold stone. To the bottom of the ocean where he lay for a week weeping his heart out for the things the ship had told him were more than he could understand but they swelled him with great longings longings to possess the silver moon to be a mightier fish than the sun and to see the whole of the world from top to bottom and from side to side with all the wonders within and beyond it. Now it happened that King Neptune, who ruled the land under the waves, was strolling through a grove of white and scarlet coral, and he heard a chuckle. There was something between a panting and a puffing, and peering through the branches of the coral trees, he beheld a plump porpoise, Bursting his sleek sides with laughter. Not far off lay the goldfish, swimming in tears. King Neptune, like a good father, preferred to share in all the joys and sorrows of his children. So he stopped to ask the porpoise
1: What tickles you so? Ho ho, ho, ho
0: puffed the porpoise. I am tickled by the grief of the goldfish there.
1: "'Has the goldfish a grief?'
0: asked King Neptune. "'Oh, he has indeed. "'For seven days and nights he has wept, "'because, ho oh, 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 because he cannot marry the moon, "'surpass the sun and possess the world.' "'And you?' said King Neptune. "'Have you
1: never wept for these things?' "'Ha!
0: Not I!' puffed the poor paws. "'What? Weep for the sun and the moon? that are nothing but... Two blobs in the distance. Wait for the world that no one can behold. "'No, father, when my dinner is in the distance, I'll wait for that. "'And when I see death coming, I'll wait for that. "'But for the rest, I say, pooh!'
1: "'Well, it takes all sorts of fish to make us sea,"
0: said King Neptune. "'And, stooping down, he picked up the goldfish.' "'and admonished it with his finger.
1: "'Come, child,' said he. "'Tears may be the beginning, "'and they should not be the end of things. "'Tears will get you nowhere. "'Do you really wish to marry the moon, "'surpass the sun, and possess the world?'
0: "'I do, father, I do,' quivered the
1: goldfish. "'Then, since there is no help for it, you must get caught in the net do you see it floating yonder in the water are you afraid of it
0: not if it will bring me all I long for said the goldfish briefly
1: risk all and you will get your desires promised King Neptune
0: he let the goldfish dart through his fingers and saw him swim boldly to the net which was waiting to catch what it could As the meshes closed upon him, King Neptune stretched out his hand and slipped a second fish inside it. And then, stroking his green beard, he continued his stroll among his big and little children. And what happened to the goldfish? He was drawn up into the fisherman's boat that lay in wait above the net. And in the same cast... A silver fish was taken, a lovely creature with a round body and silky fins like films of moonlit cloud. That's a pretty pair, thought the fisherman, and he carried them home to please his little daughter. And to make her pleasure more complete, he first bought a globe of glass and sprinkled sand and shells and tiny pebbles at the bottom. And set among them a sprig of coral and a strand of seaweed. Then, he filled the globe with water, dropped in the gold and silver fishes, and put the little glass world on a table in his cottage window. The goldfish, dazed with joy, swam towards the silver fish crying, You are the moon, come out of the sky Oh, see how round the world is And he looked through one side of the globe And saw flowers and trees in the garden And he looked through another side of the globe And saw on the mantelpiece Black and white elephants of ebony and ivory That the fishermen had brought from foreign parts And through another side of the globe He saw on the wall a fan of peacock's feathers with eyes of gold and blue and green. And through the fourth side, on a bracket, he saw a little Chinese temple hung with bells. And he looked at the bottom of the globe and he saw his own familiar world of coral, sand and shells. And he looked at the top of the globe and saw a man, a woman and a child. "'smiling down at him over the rim. "'And he gave a little jump of joy and cried to his silver bride, "'O oh, moonfish, I am greater than the sun, "'for I give you not half, but the whole of the world, "'the top and the bottom and all the way round, "'with all the wonders that are in it and beyond it.' "'And King Neptune under the sea, "'who had ears for all that passed,' laughed in his beard and said
1: it was a shame ever to let such a tiny fellow loose in the vast ocean he needed a world more suited to his size
0: and ever since then the world of the goldfish has been a globe of glass Let's take a journey with Taffy and the Golden Harp. Morgan is one of the oldest names in the country of Wales. It means one who lives near the sea. Every day for centuries past, tens of thousands of Welsh folks have looked out on the great blue plain of salt water. It is just as true, also, that there are all sorts of Morgans. One of these, named Taffy, was like nearly all Welshmen in that he was very fond of singing. The trouble in his case, however, was that no one but himself loved to hear his voice, which was very disagreeable. And to make matters worse, Nobody could persuade him that his music was poor and his voice was rough, and he always refused to improve. Now, in Wales, the bard or the poet who makes up his poetry or song as he goes along is a very important person, and it is not well to offend one of these gentlemen. In French, they call such a person by a very long name the improvisator, from the word improvise, which simply means to create or perform without any preparation or rehearsing. These poets have sharp tongues and often say hard things about people whom they do not like. If they used whetstones or stropped their tongues on leather as men do their razors to give them a keener edge, their words could not cut more terribly. Now, on one occasion, Morgan had offended one of these bards. It was while the poetic gentleman was passing by Taffy's house. He heard the jolly fellow inside singing, first at the top and then at the bottom of the scale. He would drop his voice down on the low notes and then again rise to the highest until it ended in a screech. Someone on the street asked the poet how he liked the music which he heard inside. "'Music!' replied the bard with a sneer. "'Is that what Morgan is trying? "'Why, I thought it was first the lowing of an aged cow "'and then the yelping of a blind dog, unable to find its way. "'Do you call that music?' The truth was that when the soloist had so filled himself with strong ale that his brain was fuddled, then it was hard to tell just what kind of a noise he was making. It took a wise man to discover the tune, if there was any. One evening, when Morgan thought his singing unusually fine and felt sorry that no one heard him, he heard a knock. Instead of going to the door to inquire or welcome the visitor, he yelled out, Come in! The door opened, and there stood three tired looking strangers. They appeared to be travellers. One of them said, Kind sir, we are weary and worn, and would be glad of a morsel of bread. If you can give us a little food, we shall not trouble you further. Is that all? said Morgan. See there, the loaf and the cheese, with a knife beside them. Take what you want and fill your bags. No man shall ever say that Taffy Morgan denied anyone food when he had any himself. Whereupon the three travellers sat down and began to eat. Meanwhile, without being invited to do so, their host began to sing for them. Now the three travellers were fairies in disguise. They were journeying over the country from cottage to cottage, visiting the people. They came to reward all who gave them a welcome, and were kind to them, but to vex and play tricks upon those who were stingy, bad-tempered, or of sour disposition. Turning to Taffy before taking leave, one of them said, You have been good to us, and we are grateful. Now, what can we do for you? We have the power to grant everything anything you may desire. Please, tell us what you would like most." At this, Taffy looked hard in the faces of the three strangers to see if one of them was the bard who had likened his voice in its ups and downs to a cow and a blind dog. Not seeing any familiar face, he plucked up his courage and said, "'If you are not making fun of me, I'll take from you a harp.' And if I can have my wish in full, I want one that will play only lively tunes, no sad music for me. Here Morgan stopped. Again he searched their faces to see if they were laughing at him and then proceeded. And something else, if I can have it, but it's really the same thing I'm asking for. Speak on, we are ready to do what you wish, answered the leader. I want a harp which, no matter how badly I may play, will sound out sweet and jolly music. Say no more, said the leader, who waved his hand. There was a flood of light. And to Morgan's amazement, there stood on the floor a golden harp. But where were the three travellers? They had disappeared in a flash. Hardly able to believe his own eyes, it now dawned upon him that his visitors were fairies. He sat down, back of the harp, and made ready to sweep the strings. He hardly knew whether or not he touched the instrument, but there rolled out volumes of lively music, as if the harp itself were mad. The tune was wild and such as would set the feet of young folks a-going, even in church. As Taffy's fingers seemed every moment to become more skilful, the livelier the music increased until the very dishes rattled on the cupboard as if they wanted to join in. Even the chair looked as if about to dance. Just then, Morgan's wife and some neighbours entered the house. Immediately the whole party, one and all, began dancing in the jolliest way. For hours they kept up the mad whirl. Yet all the while Taffy seemed happier and the woman the merrier. No telegraph ever carried the news faster all over the region that Morgan had a wonderful harp. All the grass in front of the house was soon worn away by the crowds that came to hear and dance. As soon as Taffy touched the harp strings, the feet of everyone young and old began shuffling, nor could anyone stop so long as Morgan played. Even very old, lean and one-legged people joined in. Several old women, whom nobody had ever prevailed upon to get out of their chairs, were cured of their rheumatism. Such unusual exercise was severe for them, but it seemed to be healthful. A shrewd monk, the business manager of the monastery nearby, wanted to buy Morgan's house, set up a special healing retreat house and advertise it as a holy place. He hoped thus to draw pilgrims to it and get for it a great reputation as a healing place for the lame and the halt, the palsied and the rheumatic. Thus the monastery would be enriched and all the monks get fat. The taffy was a happy-go-lucky fellow who cared little about money and would not sell, for with his harp, he enjoyed both fun and fame. One day, in the crowd that stood around his door waiting to begin to hop and whirl, Morgan spied the bard who had compared his voice to a cow and a dog. The bard had come to see whether the stories about the harp were true or not. He found to his own discomfort that indeed the stories were true. As soon as the harp music began, his feet began to go up and his legs to kick and whirl. The more Morgan played, the madder the dance and the wilder the antics of the crowd, and in these the bard had to join, for he could not help himself. Soon they all began to spin round and round on the flagstones fronting the door, as if crazy they broke the paling of the garden fence they came into the house and knocked over the chairs and sofa even when they cracked their shins against the wood they bumped their heads against the walls and ceiling and some even scrambled over the roof and down again the bard could no more stop his weary legs than could the other lunatics to morgan his revenge was so sweet that he kept on until the bard's legs snapped and he fell down on top of people that had tumbled from sheer weariness because no more strength was left in them. Meanwhile, Morgan laughed until his jaws were tired and his stomach muscles ached. But no sooner did he take his fingers off the strings to rest them than he opened his eyes in wonder. For in a flash... The harp had disappeared. He had made a bad use of the fairy's gift, and they were displeased. So both the monk and Morgan felt sorry. Yet the grass grew again when Morgan ceased, desolating the air with his quavers from harp and voice, and indeed The air seemed sweeter to breathe because of the silence. However, the fairies kept on doing good to the people of goodwill, and today some of the sweetest singers in Wales come from the poorest homes. I hope you enjoyed all of our stories for this month. And if you subscribe to our Patreon page, you can enjoy even more perks and resources. Here's to stories aplenty that fill our hearts with grace and goodness, hope and light, so that we remember, as my favourite poet says, All shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Be well, my friends, be well, and join me next time for Journey with Story. Music and post-production was by Colette Jonas.